Here we are again. Arts about. Show about art that's a work of art in itself, Swan. Well done, John. I'm saying Very that well quite done, quickly before we get cut off. I, I didn't even have to point at you. Mark, um, fait accompli, the technical... Uh, uh, yes, nothing's happening, but... Yes, uh, no, you're good. I'm good. I can't hear myself, but I can hear you. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> we, we would much prefer it the other way around. I'm sure, but we'll deal with what we have. Now... As you know, Arts About is brought to you by the generosity of the McClelland Sculpture Park and Gallery, and we're in the RPP studios with our artist-in-residence and cultural-sounding board, John Baird. Good morning, John. Good morning, Swan. And Mark. Good morning, and John. And the... No uh, socks again, I see. No. My sock slap is very... And the <laughs> archetypal man about town, Mark Stewart. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Swanny. Or Scotty, I keep trying to say. That's it. right. Yes. You keep trying and yeah. I keep pinching you, down. On, <laughs> pinching you on the end of the nose like a Gaelic grandmother. <laughs> no, no, no. No. Now, so, what, what are you going to tell us about today, Mark? Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about Jordan Peterson, who you probably missed or did you see or not on q and I, I know you recommended, but I fell asleep in my Jason recliner rocker. <laughs> John? No, uh, well, I fell asleep in someone else's Jason. Okay, all right. Well, look, he was he was quite good. A little disappointing, in fact, but um, I won't go on about Jordan because uh, neither of you saw him. Um, I, I must confess, I didn't know who he was until you messaged me and I googled him. Yeah, good. Well, likewise, I googled him and mm. uh, I read the little bit of information on Google and thought that sounds like it's right up Mark's Boulevard. Mm. Well, look, I think he comes up with some good points, taking personal responsibility for you know, young men, it's mostly about young men and how they have to uh, pick up their game. Yes. I thought that was quite good, but he's uh, very much uh, disliked by the feminists for some strange reason. Well, but, young men uh, picking up their game, that's, that, that's age-long universal advice, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah, Socrates was complaining about them in his saying the young of today, the long hair and they're lazy, and well, that was quite a few years ago. He was a he was a ranter, wasn't he, Socrates? He was not a ranter. Oh. He was uh, a um, cynic in many ways. He didn't he, anybody any belief, the self belief that people had, he could prove to them that it was based on nothing. So, so a fun guy to be around. Fun guy. <laughs> well, that's why they gave him the you know, said you've got to leave, you've got to go. That's it. Eat the hemlock. Yeah, hemlock. <laughs> Mm. Who, who was the uh, completely noisome, noxious one that people didn't like? Being around that was Socrates, wasn't no, it? No, he looked. They didn't like his yes. looks, but he was no. He'd annoy people because he could prove to them that they mm. abs- they didn't know anything. Um, full of crap. Yeah. So that was people didn't really like that being so. Did anyone so, point out to him that he was perhaps equally devoid of? Well, one of his many famous sayings was, um, "The more I know, the less I know." Right. So I guess he was. That was part of his philosophy. I agree with that. Mm. They used to say a cynic knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. Mm. That's not bad. Mm. Anyway, so that's one of the su- subjects. wasn't Socrates, Jordan Peterson, and the Yama horseman <clears throat> from the steps. But am I talking now or am I just telling you what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, no, you're just highlighting. And then we're going to go back to John and he's just going to give us a Good. little overview. John? Oh, thanks for asking. Mm. Uh, underwater John we have. Oh, he never fails <laughs> to to tantalise and titillate. I was only telling Mark off air 
that you are a raconteur par excellence, John. Well, sometimes. It's wearing thin, of course, because I've been doing this for five years. <laughs> yeah, we've had a few repeats, but not too many. It's not wearing thin, and I'm still looking Today for... is not a repeat. It's not about Rickett's Point? It's no. not about Rickett's Point. Okay. No. Yeah, right. It's not about a Balenciaga gown. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is about a, uh, an activity which we've all enjoyed. All right. Mm, okay. Well, so, John, uh, Mark, you were rudely cut off last week in one of our airings uh, due to a technical fault. Yes. So I thought you might take some solace from John Lennon when he sang his first fantastic hit for the Plastic Ono Band. So here you are. This is for you, Mark. Thanks, John. He was a wonderful man. And uh, Yoko Ono was banging the cupboard door, was the that? Wardrobe door, the wardrobe door. The wardrobe door in that yeah. track. Well, I but, thought you were going to say something else for Well, me. no, but there's another, there's a very good recording of Yoko Ono um, having um, what seems to be an orgasm on, on recording. And she does it three times, so multiple mm. orgasm, but she's just screaming. What's that recording Quite, called? Um, coming and going <clears throat> in Japanese. Right. Which is Sukunwere uh, Hi. Yeah, yeah. Hi. So I'm going to talk about the um, <clears throat> the Yama Horseman, who um, I have spoken about before. I'm doing a bit of a repeat here, but I'm sure that um, Scotty Swanee has never heard heard this story. Um, so they were the horsemen from the steppes and one of the four founding tribes of modern Europe. Um, they were, and they were the first big dealers of cannabis between 5,500 BC and 4,300 BC. Not only did they diffuse their, la- la- their Indo-European language and share their genes with many a willing farmer's daughter, who could resist a dashing rider with a bag of dope, this, this, is a, uh, this is from a study by the University of Berlin and an article from the magazine Vegetation History and Archaeobotany. Now, I thought you might like that, Swanee. Archaeobotany. Archeo- I, I knew a paleobotanist, which yes. means old, old botany. Bo- yep. But, but this, this is, is archaeo, the archaeology, mm. the, the, the archaeology. archaeology of botany. Mm. So they found from 11,500 BC the use of cannabis in Japan, China, and Eastern Europe. But consummation exploded in around 700 BC with the transcontinental commerce. So it's been going around for a long time. It's not yeah. just on the Mornington Peninsula. Around 900 BC, the Yama domesticated uh, the horse, mastered equitation, and acquired a new and faster mobility. And cannabis had a high value, no joke, and multiple uses in the kitchen for medicine, the fabrication of rope and rugs, and as a psychotrope. What was the first guy who rode a horse thinking? Don't know, John. Tell me. Well, what was he thinking? He was thinking, I might get on the back of that thing and gallop around? Or, I mean, how did that happen? How well, the first thing that would have happened <coughs> would be something that you would ordinarily see at a rodeo. Well, <laughs> yeah, maybe. But Some I mean, maniac yeah. clinging to the fur. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the first horse is a, 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 a Mongolian pony. Apparently, which is mm. they're, they're saying it's still there. There was some Polish guy uh, that um, found you, you, them. The first a, domestic horse. The first, the first, no, the first actual horse the po- that was a pony. Yeah, and those Mongolian ponies. You have to actually lift your feet or drag them along the ground. They're kind of yeah, big. they're very small, but they well, were very small. The first horses were about as big as a cat. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, they were. They were, yeah, absolutely. Mm. They're mm. the dog as well. So they all, you know, they mm. got, they grew mm. into the giraffe. But um, <laughs> correct, correct. Well, we're all mammals. reaching for the for the yeah, you know, reaching up. Um, so 
that was a bit of history, and now I'm going to be coming into the present. Which um, do you know the, the Lake Catithanda? Dead silence. Can you can you say the name again? Catithanda. Catithanda. Uh, yes, which is actually Lake Eyre. Since 2012, it has has a dual name like Lake Eyre, um, like Uluru. Uluru. So it's Catithanda, who I looked up, mm. but she doesn't exist. It's just a name. Right. So the, the Catilanda Lake Eyre is an ephemeral watercourse, so it occasionally has water, and Queensland floodwaters are moving down rapidly, and there's going to be a big fill-up. That's right now, you mean? That's right now. It's yeah. going to happen by the it's end happening. of March. It's happening now. Yeah, the channels. Yeah, the channels, they're all going down. And so, um, which means massive bird and fish movement, as the birds breed on the Melee Islands, in the middle of the lake, safe from foxes and dingoes, mm. which is why they all go down there. And the fish just going, enjoying the ride. I don't know why, what else they're doing. Where do the fish come from? The fish come from up Queensland with the water. They follow, they follow the water it down. down. Yeah. But they have to be very careful because the lake air is a salt lake. Right. And so when the water first arrives, it takes a while for the salt to dissolve. Right. And so they, but they're all freshwater fish. Have they put signs up for the fish? The fish Warning, seem to know these water. things. They take, you know, they've got a sort of, you know, it's passed on. I don't know how they communicate their intelligence fish, but it seems, you know, they do it pretty well. <clears throat> The lake was given dual title in 2012, and the Arabana um, won native title over 70,000 square k's of South Australia's far north, including Lake Eyre, and name, which was named after Edward John Eyre, who Ooh. first saw the lake in 1840. Uh, just a side note on Edward mm. Eyre, he was a slave owner in the Caribbean at one stage. Okay, yeah, a lot of a lot of people from the Caribbean, the sugar, sugar. Um, mm. I mean, Barbados. I've, I've been John there. And I've Air seen them. Went to the uh, Caribbean after being in Australia, though, didn't he? Wasn't he the governor over there or something? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. I just put my he was two here bobs. For it's not a nice place, Caribbean. It's a full of tax dodges, and I mean, it was, would have been beautiful. But the, you know, the, a lot of what happened in the Caribbean was that the Amerindians disappeared when the when the mm. whites first got there. There was no one on the islands. And they brought all the, they were you know, sort of passing through with the slaves, and a lot of the slaves stayed there. And so all the people who were living on Barbados were basically um, yeah, was brought part, in. It was part of the uh, triangular. Triangular, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> so um, it's going to take a few weeks for the floodwaters to move through the Goida Lagoon and reach the Warburton River, which flows into the Cati Thanda Lake. The lake's uh, normal state is bone-dry salt crust, and the myriad beetles, lizards, and spiders, and one scorpiononian found in Lake Catithanda, are not happy with all the wetness. They generally hole up in little bubbles in their burrows under the salt or get washed up onto the beach and have a really hard time for a few months. So I just would give you... What you a know, drag. Have, have you, a, feel, feel, I feel sorry for the beetles and the scorpions. and. You well, know. that puts me in mind of regular long-term residents on the peninsula because every year we're invaded Invaded. We have to hole up strange, in the burrows. Strange species. You take an air bubble into your little beach shack and... Yeah. I know somebody that calls that camping strip that extends from sort of Macrae through to Rye, mm. uh, Afghanistan Sulemaya. <laughs> well, that's a horrible thing. <laughs> in so many ways, it's so racist and, and wrong. It's wrong. But, uh, yes, but I, I'm glad it's come from you and not from me. Mm. So um, I did see the film last night, John, of um, Vincent. Vincent. Mm. Uh, I don't think you'd like it. 
at all. But it's one of those wonderful experiences of being put through something which is actually quite painful in many ways, but coming out at the end with some some lovely images. For the benefit... for the, well, the, the power of, of, of actually being put through something which you're not really sure you're enjoying, but then at the end of it you realise that it actually has been a very good, very good experience. So it, it's, I, I do enjoy that power that some directors can have. All of which is fine. That all sounds fine to me, actually. The thing I can't bear in cinema, and cinema is perhaps more guilty of it than any other art form, mm. is utter self-indulgence. Mm. A bit like this program. We should let <laughs> we, we, we should let our listeners know that this is a Julian Schnabel film. <laughs> Called At Eternity's Gate. And I believe you were talking about Schnabel. I was trying to talk about it last <laughs> week. But, um, something when happened. you were truncated. Yes, yeah. lost my head. At the Schn- off at the head. But these things do happen, and we, we thank yes. God that it's not all not too often, and there are other a- aspects which are quite good. But anyway, the film is worth seeing if you get a chance to see. Mm. At Eternity's Gate with William Defoe playing Vincent van Gogh in a very, very um, personal way. That's it. Well, that's, that's very good. And I just want you chaps to settle down. When? I, do you mind? Yeah, no, I don't mind. I was just doing an intro to a song, but carry on. <laughs> When do the wildflowers turn up, do you think? You know, like if Lake Eyre floods and uh, South Australia and Western <coughs> Australia benefit from all that water coming down from Queensland, it'll be wildflower time, won't it? Um, I don't know, John. I'm not sure. I know that it, it, they say end of March the water's going to come. They don't say how long it stays. I think it's for a few months. Yeah. Um, but they speak mostly about the birds. But they also speak about the uh, half a million cattle that have be, have died right. because of the floodwaters. They're stranded. Yeah, Up stranded. in trees. And the, the graziers who suffer enormously from that. Um, you know, the half a million cattle, that's a lot of... Lot that of uh, cow that uh, Sidney Nolan, Swanee's favourite artist... Not um, at all. How <laughs> dare you, sir? <laughs> Painted up in a tree was in fact a carcass he found on the ground and put up in a tree. Yeah. I wouldn't put, that wouldn't surprise that, that, me. That sort of, contri- exactly. sort of contrivance wouldn't surprise me. I can understand John asking you about the wildflowers. You were waxing on about arch- archaeobotany moments But that before. was 5,500 years ago. So um, the present, I'm not sure. But I, I, I'd love to go there. But apparently, anyway, we'll see. Mm. what happens in the future well, p- perhaps we could all go there <laughs> I, l- I love a good segue p- perhaps we could all go there on a peace train yes john you're on where can i get a recording of that swan <clears throat> well you could speak to brendan telfer the station manager oh, okay i thought i might yeah package it up and market it i reckon sally could probably lift that on that subject you'll be glad or disheartened to hear that Sally's returning, yes, and you'll no longer hear my raspy tones as I... Well, su- we'll miss you, Swan. We'll look forward to Sally's return, but we'll miss you as well. Uh, yes, yes. Nice of Sorry. you. Oh, <laughs> you, can, you can come back from over there now, Mark. Mark's still smarting. <laughs> now, where were we? Ah, John on. Yes. John's on. John's on. Well, uh, I, for many years, like all of us, enjoyed a spot of surfing, and uh, I remember... The last time I went surfing was down at uh, Sorrento Back Beach, which is not a great surfing spot. But This uh, was in 1973, was it? Or? No. Yeah. Considerably more recent than that. It's a dangerous place, isn't it? Can um, be. It can be if it's big-ish. And, uh, 
biggish it was, but it was about 40 degrees, quite a hot day, and um, put the wetsuits on nonetheless. And uh, at Sorrento, you have to get... Sorrento's kind of got a reef on either side of its little bay and the waves break outside the reef and some of the swell comes in through the gate into the swimming area, you know. And we were looking for those waves that were outside uh, the reefs because it was maybe four or five foot, doesn't sound big, but if you're laying down in front of it and it's heavy, it's pretty scary. and uh, Or exciting. Rather than walk out across the rocks which are razor sharp, I have to say. Uh, we sort of swam and paddled out through the uh, foreshore and out that way and out through the gap. And uh, out there not for long, when a wave came in my direction and I thought I'll have a go, and uh, it was, of course, the biggest wave that anyone had ever seen, you know, that day anyway. And uh, I took off. Had a very exciting time, a couple of rises and falls, and then realised that not far away in front of me was the reef. So I disembarked, so to speak, hit the water like an what, arrow. What do they call that? They You bail. Bailed out. Yeah. <clears throat> hit the water like an arrow and uh, found myself in the depths. Uh, leg rope? Leg rope, surfboard, kelp. Oh. Quite a lot of kelp, and uh, it was wrapping itself around me and uh, swirling around in the swell, and it seemed to have uh, a plan, you know, which was to hang on to me. Yeah, Tarzan's nemesis, kelp. Oh, yeah, kelp, yeah, quite probably. Wow, this sounds... Well, well you're here today, so we, we can imagine that well, somehow... Whilst struggling with the kelp, I... Uh, thought to myself, the surfboard appears to be stuck on the bottom, maybe under some kelp or something as well, and I can't get away from it. And I thought, well, I'll get the leg rope off. And at yeah. this point, I realised that I'd broken the little Velcro strip that one normally straps it on oh. with and had tied the leg rope on my ankle with a, with a serious little knot. And uh, it wasn't coming undone underwater, and I was struggling. I was starting to run out of air, Swan, as you might imagine. So it was entangled in the kelp, and it was actually, you were under the surface. I'm tugging at the rope Mm. under the surface, and I can't get the surfboard free. Until I realised that, in fact, the surfboard was on the surface, and that I had was so disoriented that I thought it was stuck on the bottom, but in fact I was trying to pull it down instead of up. Right. <laughs> and what's your, I mean, without stating the obvious, what's your mental state at this stage? Panic. Are you, are you a panicker or a uh, bit of a... Mm. I, ne- I knew I needed some air. Yeah. I, I wasn't like... That's only natural. <laughs> I wasn't completely panicking. but Mark, Mark and I don't blame you for that. Once I'd figured out which direction to go, I knew I was going to get some air. Mm. Uh, and so I popped my head out just in time to get half a lung full of air before the five-foot surge of white water on another wave mm. came and picked me up and uh, rolled me across the reef. The, the razor ro- sharp, the... the uh, uh, aforementioned razor sharp yeah. reef. It was uh, lacerating both the wetsuit and me, and uh, bashing the surfboard to bits as I dragged it along behind me. And uh, I couldn't walk on this stuff, 
and I was quite badly cut here and there. So I had to lay the surfboard down on the rocks and walk along the surfboard and then stand there and then lay it out Put in front of me yep. and walk along it again. And no one came to help me. In fact, this solicited some laughter from the beach. You know, People were enjoying this. Well, Every- that's, that's life on the sand out there. <laughs> I got off the rocks and my feet were quite badly cut. It was 40 degrees, the sand's hot, and suddenly the cuts in my feet are full of hot sand, you know. And uh, I abandoned the surfboard, just sort of squatted down, undid the knot, abandoned it and made my way up the ramp up to the towards the shower room scowling at everyone yeah thanks for your help yeah and um went and found the shower had a shower which was a great relief to me and then got a uh, someone had left a towel in there which i laid out on one of the benches and just laid down there for about an hour bleeding and sobbing and uh recalibrating yourself it's funny, Mark and I. I did would... think to myself, Swan, I think I'm too old for this. Yeah, you're a lucky man, John. Uh, Mark and I were talking about Schadenfreude. That's sort of like mass Schadenfreude when they're yeah. just all on the beach having a good old chuckle. Yeah. Well, it happens quite often that people are um, struggling to, they're drowning mm. and waving in the air, mm. and people mm. are just waving back, saying, oh, yeah. hi. Uh, well, there's that band, uh, Not Drowning Waving. Or is it not waving drowning? <laughs> yeah, no, there is a band called Not Drowning <laughs> Waving. Good to them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, look, that, that reminds me of being in um, surfing at Portsea on when, some of those big days, and you, you really did have a, um, a big respect for the, uh, those bit, large waves. Yeah. But I remember being right out the back at one stage and on a very warm day as well. And do you remember ever seeing the ocean-going gull, gulls catching the waves and they you know, you'd get those very long swells at Portsea mm. Back Beach and the and the ocean going bird gulls just catching it under the lip and yeah. moving at a really fast pace yeah. right along and sometimes you had to duck because they'd be catching the wave before you were and you'd have yeah. to get out of the way. And then you'd catch the wave and there'd be dolphins underneath you surfing. I love surfing. watching albatross for that reason. Albatross mm. just above the water. Yes, catching Swimming that. along behind a boat. It's yeah. a beautiful thing to watch. Yes, I've never I seen that. I particularly liked them sort of, they, they'll glide around not very far off the surface of the water and every now and then they'll just tilt themselves a bit and tip a wingtip in the water just to help them to make the arc. Yes, know. yes, that's, yeah. How, how long can, for how long can they fly before? Yes. You know, a very long time, no, without Years. landing. Years. Yeah. Without landing. Without going to land. Without going to land. So I think they land on the water, okay? They might have a little nap every now and then on the water. Right. But, but are they like swallows who, that have to, um, when they, they don't land, they can't land on, on the land because they can't take off again, but they, they go up to 3,000 metres to, um, or 3,000 feet, perhaps, to um, make love. They make love in the air. Do they? Like Superman. Like Superman. They make or, love or, or, or like gliding down. Like drunk people on an ANSAT flight in the Could <laughs> also. And yes. um, very poetic. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, and they sleep also. They, they fly up and they, then they fall asleep and they glide down. They get down to a certain level and they wake up again. They must have yeah. a little thing in their head, a, li- a, a, a little mercury switch that wakes them up. Barometer. That might go altitude. Anyway, that was a lovely story, John, about Sorrento Back Beach. So everybody should be very careful. Mm. Didn't someone drown there recently? Oh, they drown there all the time. time. 
Yeah. I so, saw a couple of blokes in trouble around the corner at Diamond Bay and I was standing there with another fella and one of them was waving, not drowning, waving, mm-hmm. but in fact not waving, drowning. Drowning. And uh, this guy suggested we go in and help him and I said, I'm not going in there, that's when you get into trouble. Mm-hmm. To have someone clawing you down to David uh, Jones' yeah. locker. So we rang OOO and in the weird hope that something might happen and the Sorrento life-saving dinghy came ripping around the corner in about three minutes flat. Wow. And they dragged them out of the water and 20 minutes later the police arrived and arrested them for stealing abalone. Fantastic. <laughs> well, that's a good surfing story, wasn't that it? That is a good surfing I've, story, yes. I've always admired surfies. I've never really learned how to do it. But I do love the uh, atmosphere. And perhaps this song might put you in mind of that very same atmosphere. Mm. I'm going to take you way back to the very early 70s, the time of cheesecloth, free love, (laughs) the aforementioned marijuana. Great version of a Stockhausen-influenced bit of rock and roll, you know. Well, that I don't know. I don't think they even knew they were influenced by Stockhausen, but that's where it comes from. A lot of that sampling of sounds. Atomic annihilation, of course, was our our um, constant fear back mm. back then. Good had to learn how to get under the desk. Well, as a child, I always dreamt about um, an atomic explosion, and for a brief moment in time, there was a generation or half a generation that didn't have that fear, but. I'm sure it's ever increasing now. So in these dreams about atomic explosions, were you perhaps the only survivor in the neighbourhood? No, no, it always ended just with this horrible realisation that the bomb had gone off, Hmm. which which of course is pretty much how it would be in reality. I don't think you'd have time to realise it, but uh, I used to have the same daydream, but myself... Myself and my dog were often survivors of the Holocaust. See, that would, that would be fun. Yeah. 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 No, as my brother said, flash, ash. That's what we used to say. That's mm. all you'd see if you were lucky, mm. the flash. Although at some distance away. See, my dad gave me a pamphlet once which put the fear of God into me, and it was produced by the Civil Defence Authority or something oh. like that. And it actually had concentric circles from the blast point. And I used to calculate, because I was in Box Hill, and if they hit Melbourne, how long I had to live and all that. Yeah, well, they still do that kind of thing. You know, with bushfires, I couldn't help noticing on the radio, they were saying, if you live in such and such a place and there are fires around you, it's too late for you to leave your house. (laughs) I know, I heard heard that this at the height of summer a couple of weeks ago. Or is it still the height of summer? I don't know. That would freak you out. It would freak you out. Mm. Although you're pretty safe in a house, aren't you? I don't know. It said uh, make sure you're near a door. That's right. An exit. Mm. So you can go outside and burn instead of stay inside and burn. Yeah. Now listen, Swan. Yes. Uh, in a much cheerier note, Yes. Uh, I've got a bit of info here from... The Moth Organisation. You know them. Moth. Yes. Uh, We'll sure remind the listeners that it means music on the hill. Music on the hill. Uh, Uh, Being Red Hill. Is that right? um, Or is it... doesn't specify which hill. Yeah, I've never been there. Well, let me read this and uh, perhaps we'll learn. Music on the Hill is a series of community music events that bring singers, songwriters and bands to listening audiences and are usually held in... Red Hill. There, there you go. go. 
On Friday the 8th of March, Music on the Hill hosts its fourth International Women's Day show in a celebration of women in music. Previous Moth International Women's Day shows have featured some prominent Australian Australians Ella Hooper, Rebecca Barnard, Sally Seltman, Angie Hart and Australian of the Year Rosie Batty. I didn't know she was a singer. No, I'm sure she would have spoken. Oh. Ella Hooper's good. And this year's lineup promises to be every bit as spectacular. It includes world-class vocalist, Australian soul and funk legend Kylie Aldist, Melbourne contemporary violinist and singer-songwriter Zani, Zimbabwean R&B singer, songwriter and former The Voice Star, Dando, and jazz pop singer and rock whiz orchestra keyboardist Cleo Renner. They'll be accompanied by a seven-piece all-female band featuring a string section and joined by Peninsula Music World music a cappella group Ling Mara. The music director for the show is Zani Kolak. Now, it seems difficult to imagine, but they also claim that uh, their um, male and female participants in the Music on the Hill series are half and half more or less. Throughout the year? Well, it doesn't sound like it to me, given what we've just read out there, but anyway, it, it is International Women's Day show, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know why they've done that little postscript, John. The Morning Peninsula rarely sees so much talent together on the one stage, so this show really is a must-see. It's on at the Southern Peninsula Arts Centre Theatre at Rosebud Secondary College, 245 what? Eastbourne Road, Rosebud. For bookings and more details... Go to musiconthehill.com.au and I'll see you there, Swanee. So, Stan, so Music on the Hill mm-hmm. is at SPAC. SPAC. Yep. Not on the Hill. Yep. Got ya. Mm. All right, everybody, did you get that? It's down there at the Rosebud High School. Yeah. I'm going to go. Yeah, it sounds like a good show. I just don't do that sort of thing anymore. No. Yeah, I'm just withdrawn. Oh, yeah, have you, be- you become somewhat of a hermit, Swan. Yeah, where was that brochure, John? While we're in the habit of reading out press releases and alerting everyone to, you know, what's happening. Hey, have you got any, any more news, old boy? No. All right. I don't have any news. Okay. I was just reading from the... Uh, I just... You know how you do your little John on stories, which mm. I like very much, and you're welcome to tell any more. But um, I was just opening the uh, Do You Dare Season 2019 Frankston Arts Centre booklet. Yeah. It's hardly a brochure. It's almost a... Uh, yeah, it's a publication. It's almost a phone book. Yeah. And I see here there's a, there, there, there's a show on, and you don't really need to know it's in May, but Jonathan Biggins is in it. Jonathan yeah. Biggins is... Uh, he's your archetypal Sydney Theatre Company kind of fellow mm-hmm. and if you like that sort of thing hop along but i'm just going to tell a little john on a little uh, swan on mm-hmm. that uh, I, I was directing this little show for a microsoft show up in sydney and jonathan biggins was the mc slash comedian uh, breaker relief mm-hmm. light relief leavening as they sometimes called mm-hmm. it and he said, look, I've got this fabulous idea. It just it goes down a treat wherever I perform. I wear this skin-tight suit, um, you know, walnuts and all, 
and with flippers on and I have a, I have a, a face mask and a snorkel mm. and honestly I cannot remember but I think it's something about the harbour. Right. Anyway, you got out there and, uh, on, on, and it just died. Right. His audience, uh, tier after tier of bearded, mildly overweight, Mountain Dew-sucking computer coders. They didn't get it. They didn't get it at all. Also, what I was, as I was inferring at the start, chaps like this, I don't mean to be mean, I really don't, they do make a living in their own place like Sydney and everybody knows they must applaud and laugh and mm. jolly along. But when you put someone that isn't like extremely talented or really actually that funny in front of a true audience, right. you soon find out whether it's funny or not, right? right? And no one was laughing. So he's just babbling on the porch. A lovely fellow. He's babbling away and doing all these wild gestures to this stony audience. And at one break in the performance, he stuck his head round the curtain where I was standing there with my headphones on. And he said, please don't make me go out there again. <laughs> and I just pushed him on, with a, pushed him back with a smile. Nice. Well, there was a schedule. Yes, indeed. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> More underwater tales. Oh, that's right. Although not underwater. Yeah, John underwater. Mm. Unterwasser. I was thinking about my dog and yeah. myself after the nuclear holocaust. Well, did, was this a do dream dog or a real dog? No, it was a real dog. What was the real dog's name? Kelly. Kelly? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Close Karen. to Holmes one? Yeah, sure. Um, Kelly was a dog who would regularly climb a tea tree in the backyard and um, get on to the roof of the house. Was he a barker? Only when people he didn't like the she, sorry. When, she? When, was she a barker? When people she didn't like the look of walked right, by, she okay. would give them a bit of a yap from yeah. the roof of the house, which people found a bit <laughs> odd. <laughs> the dog on the roof. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I'm surprised you weren't arrested for animal cruelty. Um, well, I didn't put her up there. Wow. But she got up there herself. And uh, if I walked up the driveway, she would make a run across the roof and just simply leap off the guttering into my arms with total and absolute faith. Not a heavy dog? No. What sort a, of dog was it? It's a wire-haired terrier. Oh, right. What a, mm. what a talented little fellow uh, she was. Yes. <laughs> and, and smart as a whip, I bet. Yeah, very smart, but yep. uh, also very um, uh, impulsive. Right. In fact, uh, we were down uh, here in the Mornington Peninsula at one stage. and uh, It's not going to end well, is it? Well, she... <coughs> sorry... <coughs> She departed from the car when the car was going at speed mm. and tumbled in a sort of a ball of fluff like you might see in a cartoon yep. and ran off. And she'd seen something that she wanted to pursue, perhaps perhaps a rabbit. Yeah. And um, we couldn't find her. So in the end, my father said, we're going to have to, we can't stay here for the rest of our lives, we have to go. So we went, and uh, about two weeks later, she turned up. That's brilliant. That's like in one Melbourne. of those. That's like Lassie come home. Mm. Yeah. She was covered in car grease, so perhaps been sleeping under cars where it was nice and warm, Reason under the engines or something. What a, what a, what Either a, that or she'd been working with a mechanic somewhere, maybe in France. Yeah, earning her keep. <laughs> yeah, wrenching on a T-model Ford or something. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
What a plucky little girl. In the end, she was, in fact, hit by a car. Yes, of course. Chasing a car, I bet. And um, the young kid over the road who was my enemy... Yeah. What was his name? His name was Tim Crichton, and he was on the uh, box of cereal. I used to have to look at him every morning. Wait a sec. Wait a sec. We've only got minutes to go, and you've just opened up a can of... (laughs) He was on a box of cereal. What, What cereal? Um, I can't quite remember the cereal, but... Uh, I'm just maybe. trying to... Was there one with a kid on it? Yeah. 